I'm Garrison Doctor. And I'm Corinne Doctor. And this is Fishing Stories. And welcome to the finale of season two, Fishing Stories. That's right. Today we talk with one of our favorite people, Tom Bai, editor of, I would say, the best fishing magazine out there, the Drake Mag, our favorite at least. For sure. We talk a a lot about the magazine and, and what it means to us in the episode. And then Tom followed the unofficial theme of this season of taking us down a few stories where things went wrong. That's right. That's right. Always an entertaining uh, story when things don't go according to plan. And I swear that we did not ask our guests this season to tell us these stories. It just kind of happened. That's the way it goes. And that's fine. It's it's good. Uh, keeps us all a little more humble. That's right. Absolutely right. And uh, as Corinne mentioned, this is the season two finale. We'll be back in 2021 with another season or two. Um, in the meantime, if you have any comments, we would love to hear from you. Shoot us an email. You could send questions, comments, feedback, you know, your own fishing story. Our email address is tellusafishingstory at gmail.com. Yeah, we'd love to hear from you. Um, love to hear a fishing story. So shoot us a note. Enjoy the episode. And thank you so much for listening. And we will see you in 2021. Hey, Tom. Hey, Corinne, how are you? Good. Good. Nice to see you guys. I know. It's good to see you. Yeah, great to see your face, even on a screen. Yep. Uh, usually it's been at sporting events of late or not on the river enough, but no. we'll get there. We did have a run in up north in a small town not that long ago that was pretty exciting. Little impromptu. Yep. Uh, old Pinedale. There you go. <laughs> We're driving down the main road and we go, wow, that person has. Drake stickers and Beaver stickers. That has to be. That's Tom. Tom sure. it's There's be. not two of those vehicles out there. Oh. No way. Get no. get the passions just displayed on the back window. Right, right. No, I love Pinedale though. That whole part of Wyoming is awesome. Yeah. It's well, great. you would know. I know you've spent quite a significant part of your life up in in the Jackson area. I have. I was up there for eight years and did guide the green on occasionally, but it would be early in the season when the snake was too high and not fishable yet. Uh, but it was a haul down to Warren Bridge from Jackson. So that was a pretty short part. Oh, of I know the scene, you know, we're up there quite a bit and I have to yeah. catch myself because I find myself getting a little bit territorial about the Jackson boys coming down and guiding. I'm like, Hey man. Yeah. And, then, and like, then I'm like, we oh, have, you have no Colorado plates on. I <laughs> did come up here from Colorado. Not a whole lot to stand on, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Uh, at least it's not Utah. I think they, I think, the, I think they have a, a worse problem with some of the Salt Lake crowd of late, right. there's a lot, especially on the guiding side, right? Not necessarily Pinedale, but some of those other parts of the green, et cetera. Well, everything's uh, crowded now. Everybody's discovering fishing. Yes, yes, they, they can't are. do their indoor or sporting activities, so everybody's outside, yep. which. I love the outdoors. I'm glad more people know about it, but it's uh, also a struggle. That's right. Yeah, it's it's been one of the, the silver linings, you know, from a business side. It, we just happen to have an industry that, that does well with social distancing. And, and right. none of us really knew that, right? I mean, it's kind of the luck of the draw, but there is certainly a lot of new people fly fishing over the past three months. 
four months. Yeah, absolutely. Hopefully they're having fun. Right, exactly. Exactly. Well, tell the people really quick who don't know you, just a very brief kind of who you are. Give us a little bio, set the stage for us. Uh, well, I mentioned I guided up in Jackson. Uh, I'm originally from Oregon, though. Like you guys out there, I spent some time in Portland. Um, in the late 90s in Jackson, I started the Drake magazine. And that's uh, the magazine has been my business for the past 20 years. But I was also an editor for skiing magazines and things like that. So I've bounced around at several ski towns and ended up here in Denver in 2012. And I've been here ever since. Love it. And just a quick fanboy moment. I have <laughs> uh -oh. always loved the Drake. Uh, I, I started fly fishing when I was really young, but I didn't have like a mentor or any type of like industry contact or even a family member who fly fished. So I was just like working out of like an outdated, you know, how to book. And it took me a minute to like, <laughs> you know, nose around a fly shop a bit more. And, uh, well, I've been a fan for a long time. So. Drake I appreciate aspirational. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know that. Yeah, I think you can learn some things about how to fly fish from the Drake, but it's much more about the cultural side of it. And we try to be lighthearted about things and a lot more about, maybe why you might want to go fly fishing instead of, you know, the, the gear so much or, or, or the where, even though we have had a lot of destination pieces over the year, there's uh, much more to those stories generally than just to go here and do this. And I've been very, very lucky to be able to go and travel to a lot of these places. It's, a, it's incredibly fortunate on my part to, to be able to, go to these places that I never otherwise would be able to afford. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, well, obviously the how and the gear and all of that, that has its place. But I do think of the Drake as more of like the sole piece of fly fishing. Well, I appreciate it. The storytelling, obviously we love stories. That's one of the reasons we're here today. Um, and like you said, that community and right. more of the why, so. Yeah, definitely. And like early in my fly fishing career, like I had a lot of family that just didn't really understand is like, why are you spending so much time doing this? Like, what is your deal? <laughs> like, obsessed with this? Like, I don't, I don't get it. And so just to read like well-written stories of some of the reasons why fly fishing is important to various people and the places that it can take you. I think is, you know, was definitely inspirational to me, like gave some credence to like, this maybe is like a pastime and a sport and a hobby, but also can be more important than that. It keeps us sane. Right, 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 right. Well, yeah, you weren't alone there. My own parents just were baffled by the sport of fly fishing. Yeah. My dad still doesn't get it. He's my dad too. My dad was not only not a fly fisher, I mean, he wasn't even a sport fisherman I and mean, like a lot of commercial fishermen which is what he was in early in his life he didn't get the fishing for fun thing at all yeah it was <laughs> yeah. a it was a job right yeah yeah, yeah yeah my dad doesn't have any sort of fisherman by his name there's no <laughs> but his dad is an incredibly skilled artist which obviously plays into the that other was also passed down yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. it's like 
That's great. <laughs> now, well, I think the, the content of the magazine too, didn't really know it necessarily at the time, the late nineties, but it has obviously played an effect on the Drake still being around and being successful, but you, you just can't Google up the sort of essays and things like that, that it's just much easier to find some of the how-to stuff online. Right. Wow. So, so it's made those sort of publications uh, struggle more in the past, you know, decade or so, especially. That makes sense. Well, wow. on the storytelling side, let's not discount your role in bringing the film tour to the people. Yes, that was something that was very much influenced by, I was in the ski industry at the time. Yeah. And that was a huge part. I mean, obviously Warren Miller for five decades had been going on, but then I was in Jackson when the TGR guys started their scene up there. And that was mid nineties and, and went to those premieres in Jackson. And it was just so exciting. And when I first started talking about making a fly fishing movie or doing some of those sorts of things, again, my friends, they're just like, you're kidding, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna start one too. Crazy does work sometimes, you know. Yeah, but but it 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 worked. It was it was incredibly exciting, and we had good filmmakers come in, and it's just gotten a little bit better every year. And and it turns out there is really much more broad topics in fly fishing than there were in almost any other sport that had ever done it in, in terms of location and times of year and and species and bugs and fish and it just uh it lends itself a lot to great storytelling yes Definitely. it's awesome well that is one thing that i'm gonna really miss that would have been happening in like what two weeks from right now yes, yes. <laughs> we would be at the iftd show and thus the drake film awards which is arguably the greatest party of the year. I <laughs> 14 years, it's gone straight. But I, you know, and we, we talked about doing something virtually like the Fly Fishing Film Tour did, and I think they did a good job with it, but that it's just so much about the party for me and those and filmmakers and stuff like that. And well, I, I, I rarely like, pay attention to anything <laughs> other than the social aspect, if I'm being totally honest. Right. No, and you're not <laughs> alone. I mean, people are there to you know, hang out with each other. We always have good beer and it's a good party. And it's it's just it's a highlights reel anyway. So yeah. you're not seeing the whole film. So um yeah, I just I just think until we can get together and have that sort of experience again, I was going to hold off and do it. Plus, it's just an industry event anyway. You know, it's exactly. open to the public, but it was largely an industry event. So Exactly. Yeah. Well, we'll miss seeing you there and, and the hype and the beer, of course. <laughs> of course. We can still get the beer. Thank you. Yeah. Right. That's true. Right. Well, speaking of stories, you mentioned... Uh, doing a little bit of traveling in your day. And I know you have more than a couple stories under your belt. We'd love to hear one. Uh, okay. Um, well, I have been really lucky to do many, many trips, but one of my earliest ones and with both people have ended up being two of my better friends in the industry. And this was uh, Travis Rummel, who is one of the owners of Felt Soul Media and made a lot of those great films and has still done a lot of work with Yeti and, and David Mangum, who at the time was guiding in Florida for the tarpon, but has also spent a lot of time in, in New Orleans, the south of New Orleans, and doing the red fishing thing. Yeah. 
and I don't think David and Travis had even met, but Travis and I were coming down there. And so, and I think I'd only fished with David maybe once before, but we were fishing for redfish out of Hopedale. This was mid-October, I think was the time of year. And we wanted to go for big fish. That was David's plan and still kind of- Full red season. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, but we headed out and we, we went a long ways. I'm not sure exactly how far, but a good distance out of Hopedale, 20 miles probably. And David lost his lower unit in the boat. And it's 8.30, 9 a.m. And we're a long ways away. But he was still a guide. He, he was pulling us around and we got some decent redfish and we just talked about what was going to have to happen and somebody was going to have to come out and get us. <laughs> and so he occasionally throughout the morning kind of, oh, who can I call? Who can I call? Um, but you know, there's like all guides, there's a bit of ego there and maybe there's certain people he didn't want to call, right? He was kind of new to guiding down there. Yeah. Um, and he, he wasn't going to call Greg Arnold, you know, <laughs> who he had just recently met. I don't know. You, you two have fished down in New Orleans, right? Or have Never. you been? Never. You haven't been oh. down there. Okay. No. Well, it's, it's on the list. I mean, it, there's a reason that the average Joes don't just go down there and throw their boat in. I mean, you can get lost in five minutes at leaving out of those marinas. So, um, but we were a long ways out and most of the people that he was going to call, I mean, this is uh, 10 years ago, at least probably 12 and the people he was going to call were out guiding. So he couldn't <laughs> get a hold of them, couldn't reach them. Um, he was good friends with the Holman brothers. We knew that they were there and, and Travis and Bear, they had a big lake and bay, which could have probably gotten to us in a half an hour or so, but they were somewhere else. And uh, David had a partner, a business partner that he'd recently broken up with. Did you, had you guys seen um, the, the book that he put out with Yeti? Yes. Yeah. Okay, yeah. He, he writes about this story in the intro. Oh, excellent. Um, it was a partner he had, he calls in there, his name was All right, and he now he's, he, he guides for redfish and things down and but him were partners and they had recently broken up that was the last guy that he was going to call <laughs> right it was it was not a great breakup i mean uh uh monty burke's new book he also tells the story oh, God. <laughs> they had had a very physical encounter at the end of their at the end of their business relationship oh dear and this was right at that time i mean it was either just before or just after, and I mean within like weeks or so of this ending. I might not have it exactly right, but it was recent breakup with him. So that's certainly the guy who wasn't gonna call. Well, now it's getting dark. I mean, this is, and there's a storm coming. We've been out there for 12 hours and he's, his phone is dead. Travis Rumble has the only phone that works and we can see the lights of New Orleans, but you guys haven't been down there, but. You got to understand, you, you're out there in the middle of the marsh. You could die of starvation looking at the city of New Orleans. I mean, places there that people wouldn't find you at all. Yes. And so now it's getting dark. There's less and less traffic. And he decides he's going to call his guide. Preston Sutter was his name. And he's driving over from Florida um, to, to New Orleans. 
So we get a hold of him and this is now it's eight o'clock at night, nine o'clock at night. We've been out there forever. And, and Preston shows up at the uh, boat ramp there in Fairhope and, and the little marina and the guy in there asks him, do you know where you're going? Because Preston had told him where we were. And the guy said, how long have you been guiding down there? Well, Preston had been there for a year. <laughs> and and in, in this marina, there's a big wall map behind it that has the marsh or where people are going fishing. And this old guy, the kind of guy you'd picture, Louisiana dude is down there. And he tells Preston, you ain't going here. You ain't going here. You're going here. This was a long ways away. And Preston got, you know, he's really, really nervous. But, you know, as far as we knew, he'd be able to make it out there. He'd, he'd be able to. <laughs> so we're waiting this whole time. We ended up firing some flares off, trying to get, of course, they went about 10 feet, fell in the water, you know. Great. Uh, Not the dramatic effect you're looking for. No, we're just like, are we going to end up being out here all night? And finally, we see a boat coming, but it drove past us, you know, a couple times and back and forth. But we're like, that must be Preston. He's getting closer and closer. So finally, the boat pulls up. Uh, it's dark, it's raining, storms are, but finally the boat's there, but it's not Preston. Oh, oh no. Oh, no. It's David's partner. He had seen Preston at the dock, and Preston got too scared, and so had to come out. And the first word, and these, and, and you should have seen a look on David's face. He didn't know what to say, right? The first words out of mouth where you're gonna have to leave your boat out here we thought we were getting towed in no nope. but had somebody else with him so suddenly there was five of us in this tiny little boat mangum has to <laughs> leave his boat there because his ex-partner who they really are ready to kill each other already at this point is now saving us the last person he wants to save us but mangum has to leave his boat and we take the boat ride in that is one of the top three scariest things I've ever done in my life. It's pitch dark and we're screaming in this boat. And you can't see, we, we have a light in the back of the boat and you can't see the front of the skiff. And we're going like 50. And anybody that's ever been down there knows that is a scary, scary route back in daytime. I mean, this wow. is, there's rebar all over. There's, you know, just, just it's, you're crossing a massive shipping lane in the dark. And then you get to a, uh, a uh, narrow, windy route back to the dock. And by the time it had been raining so hard that then by the time we got in there, there was floating logs and things to avoid, but did it. He got us back. That is wild. David just had to bite his tongue the whole way. But Travis and I, we stopped about halfway back and just looked at each other. And he's like, I, I, I've never felt so unsafe <laughs> in my life. <laughs> I mean, going 50 in pitch dark and there's things just zooming past you um but he got us back and then the next morning david had to go out and retrieve his boat so that was one of the that was the first experience with myself and travis and and david mangan oh, so we can see some of these other stories with david talking about that's that's not in those stories but he had to come out and rescue us one, oh, one time oh god that's so good it is amazing how some of these guys can navigate these places at night we had an experience last year i was thinking of where that we were too. fishing 
this this canal system in Florida and we right. put in just like off of our buddy's house and right into this canal. It was we're great. We're just fishing dock lights, you know, so it needs to be dark when you go. Yeah, there. we're fishing yeah. dock lights and it was like, it was really fun. We had a great, but you know, it's like 2.33 a.m. and we're like, okay, we're going to fish tomorrow. We probably should get a little bit of sleep here, right? Right. And what we didn't realize was like, we thought we were just going to put the boat back right where we had jumped into the boat, which is like sure. across the street from his house. But <laughs> no, we had to like, rip through this tiny little s-curve system to get to this boat ramp way over there to get, the, truck was. to get the boat out because we were putting in at a different place in the morning of course right and it was just it was pitch black and just ripping through this i don't and i'm it's like amazing we're, how much we're gonna hit an island i like and i don't i mean obviously you can pretty much do it blindfolded if you can do that at night right yeah, I mean they that they, they know it that well and are out there running it. I mean it, when I was guiding the upper snake as a rafting guide, I could have gone out there at night and run that thing almost with my eyes closed, right? Yeah, you and knew that's a where river. That right. It's yeah. only one route for the most. Yeah. <laughs> part. Uh it just seems uh, you know how well these guys but even the guys that know it that well can't always get you back. And I'll, I'll get to the that storm like that. Whoa. <laughs> I know the storm back. I mean, they had this the GPS was on and was driving and he had brought a friend with him who was wiping down the GPS as we're driving and also zooming in and then zooming back out again constantly just to see, you know, where are we in the big picture map? And then let's not hit that bank over there i mean that's it's, a rally car i was driver. gonna say it's the skip version of a rally car race you know if they have the co-pilot that's like yeah. turn titans 30 left and they're like right. shouting commands at the driver like that's oh, what you need it was it Not was so crazy. frightening i remember turning into the final route to get back and a pelican flew out and whoosh, just like it didn't hit us but it was like a couple feet away right i mean that just hurt yes it would have it would have hurt really pretty badly <laughs> Oh, jeez. Well, we're glad you survived all of that. Did you guys catch any fish? We did. We did. Right. Like I said, um, got to hand it to Dave. He kept on guiding. Like, we, we were already <laughs> out there, and he could certainly pull us around. There was nothing we were going to – there was no need to go back just then. Ended up taking longer than maybe we thought it would. <laughs> but, no, we, we got uh, – yeah, we got fish, and they were, they were good fish. It was great. I mean, when you've got flies and rods right. and at least a push pull. There you yeah. go. Enjoy, yeah. We had no problem going around the day. We just happened to be 20 miles from home. Oh, geez. And, and well, we have had, a, well, we ripped around in the dark, but that I was like, if I trust anyone to do this, it's you, you know, to our guide. <laughs> but we got almost stranded the very first time we went saltwater fishing. The motor mount broke. And so... Yeah, we were off to, the Texas coast red fishing, and we ran like, like way into this, this wildlife and, refuge and like way out. Right. And the motor mount broke. Yeah, so he had to like jerry rig some situation with ropes and like hold the motor on somehow. Oh, really? And we, I think we, I don't. Where in Florida were you? Out of uh, Aransas. Yeah, Port Aransas Rock. Oh, in Texas. I'm sorry. Right. Yeah, okay. Texas. Oh, right. Yeah, so we ran into the wildlife refuge, like, way in there. And then he, like, 
went to like pop us to a new spot and broke the motor mount. <laughs> oh my God. So we had to idle the entire way back and it was not short. Right. Okay. Well, so you're idling. Do you, either of you know Tim Borsky, that name? I know the name that for name sure. I've never a, he's met an incredible him. artist. Yeah, yeah, great artist. And, uh, and, and fly tire. You know, he, he has several little uh, small saltwater flies in particular that he's known for, but also just an incredible artist. And right. he, he's, a, he's a keys guy, but not all the way down, like halfway down. Um, but he was never a guide, just an just a artist and, and really, really smart, interesting guy. Got a couple little kids down there. But I, I went down there to do a story with him. Uh, that in itself was really great. We went out to, at night in the Everglades looking for the Burmese pythons. Cause he's Ooh. super, in, he, he was one of the only, he was the only non-government person that had received a, a permit to go in there and actually hunt him. Florida being Florida, of course, you know, a few years later opened up and had a hunting weekend for anyone that could come in. Well, with ride. bounties on their heads. They're, yes, yes. Yeah. And, 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 and you and talk to any of these guys and they're like, we're going to clear them out. You know, we're going to have, they got like three. And they did not, no, no, that didn't work. But, uh, but a story that Tim told me, which reminded me of this, was a guy down there that was not particularly popular because he's kind of a dick. I won't say his name because I can't remember his name, but (laughs) he, Tim was out there and this is a guy who was always kind of loud about people getting a little too close to him whatever. And he would give you like, you know, one of these sort of arms in the air. Like, what are you doing? So a classic keys guy. Yeah. It's good. Yeah, it's classic good. keys guy. Uh, again, not like, not Key West guy. This is up, uh, up, up a ways, but, but in the, on the back country side, you yeah. know, uh, fishing redfish or snook or something. But Tim is back there and they're, and he's motoring along and he sees this guy. And like most people that are familiar with this, guide he kind of just put his head down didn't want to and and he looked up and saw him giving him like this like arms up he's like god i didn't even get close to you why are you mad at me and he just tim just kind of kept on motoring and he gets home and the next morning he gets a call and his wife answers his phone and says hey it's this guy and he's like oh my god he's what do i do now i didn't go close <laughs> to him and he Said, so why didn't you come help me last night? Oh no. Oh no. His motor was done and he got all the way back to the marina by taking his anchor and throwing it out there and pulling himself oh. up to his anchor and throwing it again. It took him seven hours to get back. That's a long night. <laughs> and and you know, Tim's like, well, I mean, maybe that's the price you pay for people just not wanting to. <laughs> Be, get a, close to you and get yelled at. It's a boy who cried wolf situation. Totally, totally, right? Uh-oh. Watch your arm gestures. Oh, <laughs> it's, it's, he's like, oh, I didn't know. Oh, no. Oh, dear. Oh, yeah. Now, had, haven't you guys been, did, did you go down to the, was it the security at Samane? It was, it's, oh, yeah. You went down there. Yeah. Um, so you heard John Sherman and my, when we were down there, Yes, what happened we talked about that. Well, we 
tried to buy you some beers, but then you bought our beers for some odd reason um, <laughs> to talk about, you know, the trip and the do's and the That's dough. right. That's right. Yes. If that's yeah. out of control. I think we should share with the people. Well, the, yes, the, the, the flood itself. I mean, it's a fantastic trip. And I, uh, you guys would probably agree fishing for those Dorado, one of the greatest things you could fish for. Um, and it's uh, Marcelo Perez and, and their uh, company down there, Simone, I guess. Right. Simone is the park where you fish. And people will have heard a lot about this because Marcelo was a guest like three episodes prior to yeah, you. So we talk a lot about Dorado with Marcelo. So <laughs> yeah, we'll have okay. some background here. But so, your particular so, story didn't make the cut. Sometimes. It did not. <laughs> it did not. Well, uh, so John Sherman and I flew in there and we did our our hike up, which took a couple days, and then went up into the canyon, which people have seen more now. They've A few people have made little films about that section of the river. But yeah, you, you guys definitely went further than the average, even when you do a camp right. with them now, right. you guys definitely went further. That's what Marcelo was was saying. It was it was a, a healthy hike up there. It was a good 10 or 12 miles. And then into the canyon and then up to as far as it goes where there's a waterfall and you have the big pool and there's Paku in there. And it was just a uh, incredible fishing and everything about it was was fantastic but <laughs> on the way out so we came out of the canyon this was our last night that we were in there and john and i had discussed getting up early and going back up into the canyon just for a couple hours before breakfast but it was really raining hard and throughout the night John and I woke up several times and said something to each other, like, are, are you hearing this? Like, <laughs> are you nervous? And I'm, I grew up in Oregon. Yeah, I know heavy rain, but this is right. absurdly heavy rain. And for hours, and just thinking about the landscape that we had spent the past two days in, a super narrow, steep canyon surrounded by an enormous bowl of jungle. Right. It just added up to not a good situation. Uh, so we were nervous, but fall asleep, waking up, and then pretty soon it was daylight and there was no high water. And so we just thought, huh, maybe it can just absorb more or whatever. <laughs> and then an hour later, middle of breakfast, and you could hear it coming. And it was loud and terrifying. I mean, we were just a hundred yards down from the where the canyon opens up. And so this was being pushed down that narrow canyon and then to the end. And once it got out of the canyon, it wasn't like a flash flood necessarily. It was coming up a little slower because the valley widened right there, but still enough that you're scrambling and grabbing all your stuff and not knowing how high it's gonna get. And so tents and, and tables and everything was just dug as high as it could get. And then it wasn't like canyon walls. We could have scrambled up into the jungle and gotten higher, but it just kind of filled that area. Yeah. But this is, it probably went from 300 CFS to between 20 and 30,000. 
a, a enormous water. And it was, all I had in my head was, what if this had happened in the middle of the night? Right. Like it, you know, and, and Marcelo, to his credit, like at the time, he kind of played it down like, oh, this doesn't happen at night or something like that. And I was like, shut up, Marcelo. That doesn't, <laughs> they could have easily happened in the middle of the night. And they lost lodges down there. Completely right. lodges that were built way up. Although the, that was in the rainy season. That was when it was. That not was. But safe. the point is, <laughs> they that lodge was safe and they had to replace right. twice. Right. Two times they've had to do it. You know, so it happens. But I was really worried about the coming down after that. But that ended up being way easier. I mean, it was, the water was so high that it just kind of flooded all of those what would have been falls and things like that at the time. But John actually had was ready enough that he he turned on his his little GoPro there and got the whole thing over the course of between ten and twelve minutes filling up. And it looks like a time lapse, but it's not. That's how fast it happened. Wow. Uh, so we did lose some things, but we uh, we just we weren't overly prepared. Now, and I've done a couple trips with Marcella since. We actually went down to Cuba last year, uh, just before Christmas, and he had a great uh, new operation down there, which is kind of Yeah, nice. we have seen photos of that. And yeah. As you know, we're yeah. bird watchers too, and just being in that—that oh, yeah. that refuge just right. looks incredible. Yeah, I was just gonna say that situation is so wild. I mean, just like for people who maybe didn't listen to Marcelo one or need a refresher, okay. like where you are when that water is coming up is like okay. So you're how many? You're a few miles from the lodge for sure. Yeah, or, I mean, it was a three-day walk. It was. 12 miles on these little tiny from the lodge the lodge yeah. being like a plane flight in the like you are in the middle of nowhere yeah when yeah. that water's coming up yeah you can't be and and it's not like you're calling someone even right. if you had the equipment to call someone you're, you're nobody's coming to the middle of the amazon jungle to that that you. river is so incredible i think you can when it's really low and clear you can tell that it pushes an absolutely extraordinary amount of water in the rainy season every year, just yes. from the structure and the rocks, you know? Right. And those runs that even when the water is really low are so deep. I mean, they've been scoured right. out, you know? And you can just tell like, yeah, this is kind of trout stream-esque in a way, right? You got like riffles and runs and pools, but it's on steroids. And massive boulders that have been massive built. boulders. Yeah, yeah. 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 It, it, it's funny because Marcelo, our first lunch, hiking up there. So uh, we'd been on the river just a couple hours, and we stopped and have lunch. And I was asking Marcelo, or talking to him. Of course, I'm going to write a story about this, and he makes some comment about how all the travel writers that come to Brazil or Bolivia, we were in Bolivia, says how dangerous the jungle is. And it's just not that dangerous. So, so yeah, he's, he's talking about how not dangerous it is there. And then we're having lunch and I look down and I've got, there's butterflies all over, you know, and this was, uh, that's a popular butterfly. And I have a little caterpillar crawling down my leg. And I go to grab it. Oh, look at this cute little. I mean, this is two minutes after he finished telling us how safe. The, 
And Tom, you don't touch anything in the jungle, one, man. His guy, his one of his guides looks at me and says, that, 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 I wouldn't do that. And he comes over with a stick or a rock or something and moves this little critter off of my leg. And only later do I read about these things that drill down with their little claws into your leg. And what, but then that, that opens up the discussion about bullet ants and all the other things. And he, he's so great at playing this stuff down. There are real dangers down there. And overall, of course, it is incredibly safe, but it, it is. jungle has plenty of things that can kill you. It does. But I think, you know, when you stick to the river corridor like that, and we right. talked about this a little bit in the podcast, like right. as bird watchers, like we've done a lot of like, hiking middle of the jungle through right. the middle of the jungle on trails and getting up to like canopy towers and stuff right. and that opens up a lot of stuff that like and bugginess too that I'm you sure. don't experience on that river corridor it's actually right. just such a nice way to travel through the jungle for the most oh, part yeah. you know although i will uh, say we were day one full day fishing sure. we get on our boat and there's a giant spider like <laughs> crawling towards Garrison. And I'm not really scared of bugs, honestly. Um, but Amazon sized spider. Yeah, yes. huge. I mean, probably four inches in di diameter, like crawling yeah. along the canoe. Right. It's kind of coming towards Garrison. And I like indicate at it, and the uh, guide in the back just uses his push pull and kind of scoots it off. <laughs> and our guide asks him in Spanish, Does that one bite? And he answers, oh, yeah, of course. As the spider <laughs> runs away on the water, it's, like, totally comfortable just running it's on the Jesus river. a Jesus spider. And I was like, oh, I don't love that at all. Like, right. It's kind of like a superpower. Right. Yeah. We say all this, and we're going back to the jungle to the exact same spot. Oh, so. for sure. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. I'd go back there in a second. On uh, that note... We'll live to tell another tale, I think. Even nice though, chatting with you guys. I know. It's so fun to catch up with you. Let's give just a couple plugs here at the end so people can, you know, subscribe, where they can subscribe. Maybe they can follow you on Instagram. Yeah, if they don't buy the Drake at their local fly shop or subscribe to the Drake, they should. Just say Thank that. you guys very much. Yes, drakemag.com is the address, but still over 300 fly shops at carry it to um, try your your local fly shop first love to send you in there to support them and buy a mag and just appreciate all the readers that i have had over the years some have been there since the very beginning so really appreciate it and thanks for having me on well thank you for joining us for a virtual cocktail and uh we'll let you get to your next passion which is basketball Coming right up. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much, both of you. Yeah. Thanks, hey, great Tom. to chat. We'll catch up soon. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Fishing Stories is brought to you by Rep Your Water and Lock and & Co. Whiskey. Thank you to all of our past guests of the last two seasons. As we mentioned, this is our season two finale, and we'll be back in 2021 with more guests, more stories. And in the meantime, uh, be sure to go and subscribe if you haven't already so you don't miss that season three coming at you in 2021. And if you have comments, questions, thoughts, feedback, fishing story of your own, shoot us an email at tellusafishingstory at gmail.com. Thanks again.